If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of this week's World According to Zig podcast. My name is John Ziegler. This is the program where we talk about the news of the week and the events of my often bizarre life and where we provide you with a full, usually two, although this time maybe closer to three, our oasis of honesty and rationality in a desert of insanity and deceit, which is the American media, political and cultural landscape coming at you from a very wet Southern California where I continue to bang the drums that... um, Hello, the drought is over. We're the only place in, in the world that could simultaneously be under emergency drought restrictions, which were just voted to be extended, by the way, by our state authorities, as well as flood and mudslide watches. Simultaneously, we are under emergency drought restrictions, and we're looking all over the place for flooding and mudslides. That's California in a nutshell for you right there. Uh, thankfully, we survived the three or four inches of rain that we received in our area of Southern California. Although this morning, just to show you how incredibly dramatically the world has changed because of technology and how spoiled we are, we, we suffer no real consequences because of the rain other than, you know, basically our, our front lawn has turned to mud. But this morning, out of the blue, it's actually very nice this morning. Sun is out, although it's supposed to rain again tomorrow. This morning, for no apparent reason, our electricity went out. Now, it's really stunning to think that through the course of human existence, humans have had electricity for like less than 1% of our existence, right? I don't know what the exact number is, but it's been an incredibly short period of time in the history of human existence. Yet, you would have thought, based upon the reaction of my four-and-a-half-year-old, almost five-year-old daughter, Grace to the fact that the television went out and there was no electricity, you would have thought that the world had ended and that there was no God. There is no God. Oh! It, it was horrendous. And again, this is on a beautiful, warm day where you can get this. You can go outside. And shockingly, that's what happened. People actually went outside and even a couple of our neighbors had a conversation. Imagine that. You had a conversation because you needed to figure out, okay, is it just me? 
Or is it the neighborhood? How widespread is it? Well, as, as I left the house, it was still no electricity. But um, it's just, it's, you know, there's a big debate, I think. And I, I often wonder this myself. Have things really changed that much? Are people that much different than they were before? And when the electricity goes out, I go, yep, yep, we really are that much different. We are that much more spoiled. The world really has changed that much because we rely on electricity for everything. And without it, uh, our worlds collapse. Now, thankfully, we're still able to do the podcast today, although uh, I'm a little bit restricted because I wasn't able to print out my show plan for today because there was no electricity. But that being said, still a big show planned for you. In fact, as I've already implied, we're going to be doing three separate quote-unquote hours, although I don't think they'll be full hours because we don't have enough time for that. Uh, But this is going to be a really, I think, interesting show. Uh, In hour number two, which is a normal hour for our guest, which I can't guarantee is going to happen every week, but we're going to try as best we can, we're going to be joined by Larry Wilmore. Now, Larry Wilmore is a guy who is very interesting. He's a comedian former host of a show on Comedy Central. And he's also been in the news over this weekend because he went on real time with Bill Maher and really had it out with uh, Breitbart, gay, conservative, I don't know what you would call him, commentator, provocateur, Milo Iannopoulos. And he made a lot of news, especially on the Internet, for literally telling Milo... You can go fuck yourself, all right? There you go. So that's Larry. Larry's an old golfing partner of mine at a country club just outside of Los Angeles. And uh, I actually had booked him a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea he was even going to be on Bill Maher's real-time show on HBO. And uh, also didn't expect that he was going to make a big hubbub over Milo. But So that'll be interesting. But we'll also be talking with him about comedy in the era of Trump. And I'm sure that's going to be a very, very interesting conversation. We're also going to do a special third hour today. Because as of right now, although this is always subject to change in this kind of situation, as you probably know, if you know anything about me, I've been so embroiled in this so-called Penn State scandal. There was a lot of so-called news this week in that. Uh, the the adopted son of Jerry Sandusky was uh, arrested on what was described as child sex charges, although that was highly deceiving. And I'm not going to defend him for that, and it's completely irrelevant to the larger case of Jerry Sandusky and and Penn State, although don't tell the news media that. But bottom line is, in hour number three, for the first time ever, the biological sister of Matt Sandusky, who is probably Jerry Sandusky's most well-known and outspoken accuser, is going to be joining me. She's never done an interview of any kind, and boy, does she have some interesting things to say about her biological brother, Matt Sandusky, and what she thinks really happened here which I hope you'll um, listen to, plus a couple other incredible stories involving that entire saga that I'll be telling in hour number three. So that's the lay of the land. Let's get to the big news this week, of which, of course, always now deals with Donald Trump. We're in the era of Trump. It's all Trump all the time, for better or for worse. And the big news this week, of course, was <clears throat> the resignation of Mike Flynn as National Security Advisor. Now, if you're as you probably are since you're listening right now, you've probably listened last week to this program and prior weeks as well. I have been saying really since even before Trump was inaugurated that Mike Flynn was the weakest link. I've mentioned Mike Flynn numerous times as the one guy, if I had to pick any, that made me go, huh, really? 
because this guy is a conspiracy nut. And uh, now he apparently has had a very strong military record over like 30 year career. That's great. Fine. Tip my hat to him. Thank you very much. But that doesn't make you necessarily qualified to be the national security advisor. And this is a guy, Mike Flynn, who has um, taken money from the Russian government to take a trip over there and speak to Russian television at an event where he sat next to Vladimir Putin. Uh, This is a guy who has tweeted many, many completely nutty things. His son might be even worse than that. Not that he's responsible for the son, but, you know, the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree usually. And it was obvious to me that Flynn was the guy, as I discussed with David Frum, our week, uh, weekly guest last week from The Atlantic. And you can check that interview out in the Mediate report on it at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com, where you can find all of our past shows as well as all of my current articles. But Mediate did an interesting news story on my interview with David Frum from last week's podcast. And both of us were basically, Frum said that George W. Bush would have had Mike Flynn put in prison, and then he retracted that, saying that's not what a president does, for the allegations regarding the phone call to the Russian ambassador to tell him that don't worry about the sanctions that the United States is putting on you because once we're in charge, we'll, we'll take care of that. That's the allegation. Anyway, the reality is I, I have had my finger pointed at Mike Flynn from the beginning here. Trump has made, to his credit, has made some good selections. Some weird ones, but mostly good selections. But Mike Flynn was the one that was really sticking out like the metaphorical sore thumb. And this week that thumb got cut off. But why and how the thumb got cut off, just as I've been predicting that it should have been well before this, is still a great mystery. We still don't have a story that makes full sense. We really don't. Because Trump, as is his predilection has allowed, maybe on purpose, I don't think it is. See, see, the, the, there's several fundamental questions about Trump. Do you believe that he's playing checkers or do you believe he's playing chess? Do you believe he's the Wizard of Oz or do you believe he's the man behind the curtain? See, I think he's playing checkers and he's the man behind the curtain. His fans think he's the Wizard of Oz playing chess that he's this master chess player. And so I just think it's because of incompetence and confusion that they can't get their story straight, plus the fact that they don't have a good story to tell. But the story, as best we can figure it, with with regard to Mike Flynn right now, is this. Mike Flynn was asked to resign, or told to resign, I mean, by Donald Trump, because... He lied, this is Trump's story at his Bizarro World press conference that he gave this week, because he lied to Mike Pence about the nature of his conversations with the Russian ambassador and the fact that he left out, (laughs) I wonder why, the reality that apparently sanctions were a major topic of conversation in those communications. Okay, I can buy that. I have no problem. That is a legitimate reason to fire somebody, although... There's a couple problems with that. Number one, Trump goes out of his way this week to praise Mike Flynn. He's a wonderful guy. Terrific guy. He's a victim of very, very, these are his words, unfair media coverage. 
Now, that's implying, of course, that something we're being told about Mike Flynn is not true, except Trump isn't telling us what's not true. So, wait a minute. You're, you're, you just asked for the resignation within three weeks of getting started, which is a major, big, stinking deal. I mean, that is a big deal to fire your national security advisor less than three weeks before, you know, after your inauguration. Yet he's a great guy. But he lied to the vice president. He had the vice president of the United States go on national television and lie for him about something of major importance, whether or not we communicated to the Russian government, hey, don't worry about our sanctions for having meddled in our elections because as soon as we're in charge, we're going to take care of it for you. Again, that's the allegation, and there's no repudiation of that that's credible that I can see that appears to be what happened. We don't know it for sure, but putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, that's what it looks like. That doesn't make any sense. If that's true, he's not a wonderful guy. He's not a terrific person. And he was not a victim of very, very bad media coverage. If he was, tell us. Tell us what was wrong. But Trump doesn't want to do that. Trump doesn't want to get into the details. The details are dangerous here. So he's he's going to play it both ways. To his base, uh, I'm not going to tell you the details because they're, you know, they're probably top secret or classified or whatever. But, but let me just tell you, just trust me. Believe me. Believe me. I'm very capable of changing to anything I want to change to. Yeah, wrong one there. Believe me. There we go. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> just believe me. Just believe me he's a victim of bad media coverage. Just believe me. Believe me. That, I'm not going to tell you why, but he is. He's a terrific guy even though the allegation for which I demanded his resignation completely contradicts that entire narrative. But there's another problem here, and this one's even bigger. We now know that Trump knew, was informed by our intelligence agencies for at least 15 days. This is, by the way, the best case scenario. This is presuming that Trump didn't put Flynn up to this, which you have to at least consider is possible. Because think about this, folks. You're not even officially in your job yet as National Security Advisor. Are you really going to call the Russian ambassador and discuss U.S. sanctions immediately unless the top guy has given you at least somewhat of an okay to do that. And interestingly, Trump says he didn't do that, but get this, at his press conference, Trump said, no, I didn't tell him to do that, but if, if I hadn't, I would have. That's right. You know, I, I, would have, I would have instructed him to call the Russian ambassador. I didn't, but if he hadn't, I would have. Okay, what? Hello? With the body, but, but let's just, I'm going to put aside the idea that Trump put him up to this, even though logically that's Oxum's razor. Because I don't know too many people who aren't even approved in their gig yet, who are on the precipice of the biggest job of their life, and they're going to, on their own, take this kind of a risk. Now, maybe he's just that nutty to do that. That's possible. Then, of course, he shouldn't have been in this position to begin with. The re- so it's good that he's gone. By the way, that, all this is actually good news, assuming Trump can find somebody to replace him, which he can't so far because no one wants the gig. At least one, possibly two people have turned it down since 
Flynn was relieved of his duties. But here's the thing. Here's the best case scenario. We know that for 15 days, 15 days, Trump knew that Flynn had lied to Pence. So what changed in those 15 days? Now, I'll give you a day. Think it over, figure it out, get to the details, talk to Pence, talk to Flynn. I'll give you even two days. 15 days he left our national security advisor vulnerable to blackmail by Russian authorities because they knew what he had done after he knew of the transgression that would be the entire reason, according to Trump, that he asked for his resignation, which was he lied to Mike Pence. So what changed? What changed in 15 days? The only thing that really changed was that the media was able to expose this. The Washington Post had nine different sources in a story we talked about on last week's podcast, which to me, when I read that, I'm like, okay, Flynn is gone. There is no way he survives this. I'm amazed it took as long as it did. But there were nine different sources, which tells you an awful lot about what's going on in the White House, that nine different people were willing to leak information that Flynn had lied to Pence about the nature of the conversations which, with the Russian ambassador. That's all that changed. And for the record, we know that this was a, a last-second change of heart by Trump, had to be provoked by the media, because Kellyanne Conway, hours before, literally just a couple hours before the resignation, she goes out, on national television and says that Flynn has 100% the confidence of the president of the United States. Now, that was obviously not true. My theory, and I wrote a column about this, which I hope you'll read at freespeechbroadcasting.com, about what a fraud this whole situation exposed Kellyanne Conway as being. I think Kellyanne Conway was out of the loop. I think she was guessing. I think she is trying to pretend that she is far closer to Trump than she really is, that she's not really in on these conversations, and that she was guessing that Flynn had the full confidence. But she's close enough to the situation where if that was completely wrong, she would know that. And she didn't. So that tells you, one, a lot about Conway, but two, it tells you a lot about how this story transpired that the reality is that Trump decided, you know what, the media pressure here is finally too much. I endured the Washington Post story for a couple days. I wanted to see if it could blow over. It didn't. It seems like there's, you know, the the media is not going away on this. (laughs) Interestingly, at his press conference, he kind of implied, you know, part of why I got rid of Flynn is I had somebody else I liked better. That was how I interpreted what he said. But that somebody else has turned the job down. So, you know, subsequent to that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But the reality is this. Here's the bottom, bottom line. Trump allowed the National Security Advisor of the United States of America to be vulnerable to blackmail for 15 days while he waited to see whether or not the story would go away in the media. That's what he did. And then he fired this terrific, wonderful guy who 
was the victim of very, very unfair media coverage <laughs> without telling us what was unfair, what was inaccurate. It's kind of like what he said with the fake news. It's all, the leaks are real, but the news is fake. Right there, that line from his press conference this week encapsulates the entire Trump presidency. The leaks are real. And by the way, he's now very much against leaks. The same guy who was asking WikiLeaks to leak Hillary Clinton information during the campaign. I realize he made a distinction between classified and unclassified, but you know, philosophically, I'm not sure it's that big of a difference. The reality is he loved leaks during the campaign. Now, all of a sudden, the leaks are the real story. And the leaks are real. But the news is fake. The news is fake because it's not good for me. So what's really happening? I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. I have said numerous times that part of what Trump is benefiting from in this whole Russian situation is that what appears to be possible is so batshit fucking crazy that no one can wrap their brain around it. Because you can make a hell of an argument that Russia played a pivotal role in creating the Trump presidency because they controlled him. Now, do I believe that? Wow. I mean, obviously, I do not like Donald Trump. I don't think he's qualified to be president. I think he has great potential to do enormous damage to the country and to conservatism, and that's why I've opposed him since day one. But even I find it really hard to believe that. But the evidence is quite amazing. The circumstantial evidence. I mean, there's almost nothing inconsistent with that theory at this point. Almost nothing. Now, David Frum, and again, I urge you to check that out, the article that Media did on our podcast interview with him last week at freespeechbroadcasting.com. You know, his theory... I think is more along the lines of, you know, maybe Russia hasn't compromised Trump with like blackmail, you know, the, the PP video or anything like that. It's more that Trump really admires, truly, honestly admires Vladimir Putin, wants to be his buddy because Putin is living the life that he wants to live, that he's the guy who he most wants to emulate. And in a way, and I think Frum implied this, that's almost scarier than if Trump is just in a situation where his balls have been cut off in dealing with Russia because they, they have him by the short hairs. I don't know what it, which it is, I, I, but, but it's not good, that's for sure. I know, one, it's not good, and two, here's what I really know. The Republican Party hypocrisy on this entire issue is as dramatic as anything I've ever seen in my life. I despise hypocrisy. You know, hypocrisy used to matter because hypocrisy used to be a sign that you are completely lacking in credibility in all things. If you were exposed as a hypocrite, that meant that, okay, now we no longer take your word for anything. And it is obvious. It is as obvious as anything could possibly be that if Hillary Clinton had benefited during the campaign from leaks that were clearly instigated by the Russian government because they wanted her to beat Trump. And then she instilled, or instilled, she put in place as a national security advisor and as secretary of state, two 
buddies of Vladimir Putin, and that one of them called the Russian ambassador to make sure that he didn't get worried about sanctions that a Republican president had put on them because of their involvement in trying to fix our election. And Clinton was buddy-buddy with Putin, would never criticize him, and in fact equated the United States of America with Putin as a killer, saying we're not so innocent either on the Super Bowl interview with Bill O'Reilly. If, if, if even one-tenth of all of that had happened from Hillary Clinton, Republicans would be going batshit crazy. That's all we would ever hear about. It would dwarf Benghazi. All right? And, and if you don't admit that, if you're a conservative of any kind, a Republican of any kind, and you don't admit that, you're not being honest with yourself. Because it is as obvious as anything could possibly be. And, it, and, and, you know, frankly, even John McCain, who's been the best of anybody on this, is still keeping most of his powder dry. And maybe, by the way, that's strategic, which might be smart, because we're still super early in all this. That's what's so amazing. It's only, we're not even fully a month in, technically. And, um, and so I've, I've lost so much faith in the conservative media, which is lapdog right with Trump on this. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, come on, Rush. Seriously, Rush, the guy who I used to really admire, the guy who, I, who inspired me to even go into talk radio back in the day, a guy who my grandfather thought of as a hero. Here he is cheering Trump on this nary a negative word. Fox News Channel, hardly at all other than Shepard Smith and maybe Chris Wallace. Other than that, they're all just sucking up to Trump. The hypocrisy is as rich as it could possibly be. The contradictions are so obvious. And this is a really scary situation. Now, I'm not, I am not willing to say that, you know, that Donald Trump is a Russian spy or, or a stooge or something like that. But this is a serious problem. And by the way, at the very least, what's going to happen in the future if we have... This is going to make it so much easier for something like this to really happen because in our minds we'll be, well, they said the same thing about Trump and it wasn't true. So now the unthinkable is all too thinkable. And I want to be clear. I've said, I'll say this almost every single week. Trump is going to do some good things. I'm sure he's in the inner workings, I hope at least. He's already doing some good things. Things that would never have been done under Hillary Clinton. I've applauded Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court nominee, I certainly hope he gets through. I still think that he will. That'll be, that'll be really good. That'll be the fulfillment of maybe his most important campaign promise. There are going to be some things that are really good. But my God, the price we are paying for that good is off the charts. It's off the charts. And I have been saying, and I, I don't know how many people believe me, I've been rooting, not 100%, because I think if he succeeds too much, it changes our form of government, but I've been hoping for Trump to be a success. Because if he's not, the Republican Party is dead for my lifetime. If Trump is a complete failure, the Republican Party as a national force is over. Because that's our brand now. 
So I've been hoping for him to at least be somewhat of a success. Well, guess what? This first month has been a borderline disaster. Other than Gorsuch, I would say it has been a disaster because this was his golden opportunity. And I've said time and time again, I've never in my lifetime seen an administration where the first month or two was more important than Trump because Trump had an amazing opportunity because of the perception created about him during the campaign. Had he finally pivoted and been presidential, I mean, the expectations were so low. All he had to do was not crap himself, just just even be partially presidential. If he had been even remotely presidential and stuck to his agenda, the three or four biggest points that got him elected, instead of on petty, stupid fights with the news media about the size of his inauguration crowd or, the, or his electoral college victory, if he had done that, he would have had a real chance to get off to a flying start and create positive momentum. And momentum here is huge. Well, in this first month, no positive momentum has been created. If anything, there's been negative momentum. And you can see the beginnings. And I don't want to overstate this because I know there are a lot of liberals out there who somehow think, you know, any day now Trump is going to be forced to resign. (laughs) Good luck with that. That ain't going to happen. All right. Trump is the president almost assuredly for four years unless he dies. Uh, The only other scenario I see you know, which I don't even think is likely to occur under the best of circumstances for Democrats, is that Democrats take the House in 2018 and they impeach Trump. But I, I think that the Senate would probably save Trump because it's hard for me to see how the Democrats take both the House and the Senate in 2018. And by the way, that might be the best case scenario for Democrats. That way they get, to have their, get, the, they get their rocks off in impeaching him, but they also get to run against him for re-election in 2020 as an impeached president saved by a Republican Senate. That's the dream scenario for Democrats. And I think that's very much in play right now. Assuming that Democrats can take the House, that would be the most difficult part of this. But if if this continues the way that it is with no accomplishments and petty, absurd media fights, for two years, yeah, guess what? Republicans are going to lose the House. If, they, if that's what this is, if this first month gets duplicated month after month after month, people will be tired of it, and Republicans will get crushed, even with gerrymandering in the congressional elections in 2018, and then Trump will be impeached. Doesn't mean he'll be removed from office, but it means he'll be impeached. So... Right now, and I realize a month is a short period of time, but it's a critical period of time. It's really critical for Trump. This first month was critical, and he made it all about himself, almost all about himself. In this first month, you know, I've used this analogy before, and I think it it bears repeating because I think it's dead on. We elected, if you put this in football terms, we elected Johnny Manziel as our quarterback. That's what we did. Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, incredibly exciting college football player. Didn't win any championships, but really fun to watch. Different than anybody else we've seen play the position. You know, sticks it to the man. Incredibly entertaining. Runs around, makes incredible plays. Again, 
not always great for the team, but really fun to watch. We we take him from the Republican campaign, which was really fun, and we put him in the big time, which is the National Football League, which is President of the United States. And guess what? He can't get it done. He's he's just not qualified. He's just not good enough. Still occasionally fun to watch, but his off-the-field problems start to become more and more dramatic because he's not up to the challenge. So he's melting down. And Johnny Menzel has you know alcohol and maybe drug issues and now is out of the National Football League completely after being one of the biggest stars in the history of college football. He just isn't up to the challenge. He's in over his head. That's where Trump is. Trump is in over his head. And he is melting down. Much like Johnny Menzel. I'm not saying that can't change. And I'm frankly still hoping that it will. Because it better. Because if it doesn't, this is going to be so bad. This is going to be so, so bad. But that press conference that he held on Thursday was quite something. I wrote a column about it. Hope you'll check it out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. It was insane. That was Johnny Menzel. He apparently came in that morning and said, you know what, I want to do a press conference. Let me do a press conference. (laughs) And no one had the guts to tell him no. See, that's really, this is the important part of this, folks. The Trump fans can't, understand they can't connect everything to understand why this matters they think this is all clutter that it's just talk and who cares no 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 no. the clutter is an indication of what's happening underneath the hood all right trump described his administration as a finely tuned machine no it's not and we know that because of all the stuff that's happening on the outside all right and so Because Trump could go in on Thursday and say, you know what? I'm sick of all these negative headlines. I'm going to just have a press conference and beat the shit out of the media for an hour and 15 minutes. And nobody had the guts or the power to say, Mr. President, uh, that's not a good idea. Nobody. And there's, by the way, we would have heard, we would have heard on background or anonymous sourcing if someone had told him that because they would have leaked it. That didn't happen as far as I know. So nobody, he goes into the White House with a, an absolutely lame brain idea to have a public therapy session for an hour and 15 minutes and nobody in the White House says, um, Mr. President, maybe this isn't a good idea. That is really troubling. That is really troubling because we, we have a psychotic person, a nut job as president who is a conspiracy-minded person who could get a germ of an idea at any moment to do something batshit crazy, and nobody has the balls to stop him. And this is a perfect example of it. So he goes out there, and in a press conference that the once great Rush Limbaugh praised as one of the best he's ever seen, which tells you everything about everything right now. That's the way we are. That's the, that's the state of the conservative media in 2017. Rush Limbaugh is praising an absolutely crazy, insane press conference that in any other administration, if any other president in our lifetime had given that press conference 
there would have been immediate calls from their own party for that president to resign because they were not fit for the presidency. And I'm not exaggerating, and I am positive that what I'm telling you is true. Now, with Trump, we're so desensitized, we somewhat expect it. So so even batshit crazy is only, oh, well, that was nutty, wasn't it? No, no, no. No, no, this was off the charts. And, I, and again, I, I dealt with many elements of why it was crazy in my column at freespeechbroadcasting.com for Mediate. But I want to address just one very specific thing that happened, partially because of the time, but partially because I think this is emblematic of everything else you need to know about how this White House is working. And it seems like something that is trivial, but it's actually really important. I want to address the issue of Donald Trump saying at a presidential press conference, it's important, by the way, venue is important. This is not an off-the-cuff remark that somebody overheard. This is him in semi-prepared remarks on national television in the White House in front of the entire White House press corps. He's declared that his electoral college victory was the largest since Ronald Reagan. And he said it with great confidence. And, and he was boasting about it. Now, when I heard that, I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? What the fuck is Donald, what the fuck is our president talking about? Because, you know, now granted, I will acknowledge that my knowledge and interest in presidential politics is, you know, definitely in the upper 1% of the population. But I would suggest that even a decent high school social studies student, not teacher, student, would be able to tell you immediately, wait a minute, that's not right. Because it's not just a little bit wrong, it's a thousand percent wrong. Because um, in 1988, George Herbert Walker Bush got way more electoral college, way more electoral college votes than Donald Trump. Bill Clinton in 92 and 96 got way more electoral college votes. Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012 got more electoral college votes. In fact, the only president since Reagan who didn't get more electoral college votes than Donald Trump was George Bush 43. He's the only one. So now, People misspeak, but that's not a misspoke. That's not a misspeak situation. Now, when Trump was asked about it, he tried laughably to claim, I meant Republican president. Now, that's not true. He made no effort whatsoever to indicate this was Republican president. But just even giving him the benefit of that, okay, fine. We're going to pretend that you meant Republican president because. By the way, I don't buy that because he's not a Republican. I mean, if he had been a Republican his whole life, I could understand that maybe his subconscious only thought of of presidential elections as Republican victories versus Democratic victories, and therefore his was the greatest Republican victory since Reagan. That would make some sense if he was actually a Republican, but he's not. It would also make some sense if it was true, but it's not. Because in 1988, George Herbert Walker Bush got over 400 electoral college votes. It's not even close. Anybody, anybody who's an adult, who's even paid any attention at all, would know this. 
So he asks, he asks for questions from the press corps, and thankfully, someone actually brings this up and says, Mr. President, this was fantastic. Mr. President, you just lied about your Electoral College victory, yet you call everybody else that reports anything you don't like fake news. Why should we trust you when you're telling us things that are demonstrably false on obvious situations that are paramount to your presidency? And you're doing this all the time. These are my words, but this is basically the question. And Trump's response was... I was given that information. I was given, I've actually, I've seen that information around. Uh, not a, oh, I'm sorry. Because once, see, this is amazing. This to me is, again, it seems trivial, but this is, I think, the aha moment of that press conference and maybe of the entire Trump presidency. Because if he has even the slightest clue He immediately goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said that. That was so stupid. That would be, by the way, how a human being would respond instead of a narcissistic egomaniac. But he's not even, forget about apologizing. Forget about self-deprecation or, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. He's not even willing to accept that the reporter is telling the truth. And instead, he's claiming, you know what? you know, it's, I'm justified in saying that because somebody told me. I was given that information. I was given, I've, actually, I've seen that information around. I've seen that information around. What does that mean? What the fuck does that mean? I've seen that information around. All I know is what's on the internet. Yeah, what, what, what? All you need is a fucking Google search to know where your presidential election victory rates. This is unfucking believable And this matters because here's what we learned from this. We learned Trump doesn't know shit about the history of our country. This is the guy who spent 18 months running for president. Electoral college votes are at the forefront of every single day. And he has no idea. He has no idea and no interest and no fact-checking and no willingness or ability to admit when he's wrong. And you know what else it tells me? It goes back to that other issue of no one around him having the balls to tell him bad information. Because when he says... I, know, I was given that information. I was given, I've, actually, I've seen that information around. Okay, let's take him at his word. Someone told him that. Or allowed him to believe that. I, would like, I, I can't believe someone around the president would tell him something like that. But they, maybe he said something like that and someone around him substantiated, yep, that's right, Mr. President, biggest since Reagan. You know, maybe something like that happened. And then in his mind, it became truth. But the scary part of that is no one around him would correct him. So it allows him to believe bullshit. And when the person at the at the end of the decision-making process, when their computer is full, filled with bullshit, guess what happens? Their decisions are bullshit. Garbage in, garbage out. 
And there's no willingness to admit when you're wrong, no ability for anyone close to him to tell him that he's wrong because they're all afraid of getting fired or falling out of his good graces. That's what's so scary about this. And then, of course, the major focus of the press conference was to attack the news media. And why is he attacking the news media? Look, I despise the news media more than anybody on the planet. They're a bunch of morons. They don't give a shit about the truth. All they care about is their own fame, their own fortune, their own cushy gigs, doing nothing to risk those gigs because if they get fired, they lose their entire sense of self-worth and getting another good one is almost impossible in this business environment in the news media. So the news media is dead. The journalism is completely broken. I despise the news media. But seeing Trump take advantage of that reality is a lot like, as I've said before, seeing O.J. Simpson, a rich guy who lived a white life, having his butt kissed by the LAPD, get off of two double murder, get off of a double murder by claiming LAPD racism. Seriously? You're the guy that's going to benefit from this real problem. Liberal media bias and media incompetence, media malpractice, as I put it in my documentary in the 2008 election, is a very real problem. But Donald Trump is the last guy on the planet that should be benefiting from it. But he has no choice because he needs to inoculate his cult from reality. It's just like Scientology. You've got to make sure that everything from the outside world is discredited. Only believe what's on Fox except Chris Wallace and Shepard Smith. Only believe Sean Hannity. Only believe Rush Limbaugh. Now even frickin' Mark Levin's on board. It's unbelievable. Only believe Breitbart, Drudge. Anything else is fake news because he's got to protect his 35 40%. And I think that's what his, gonna, his approval ratings are going to be. Barring something dramatically tremendous happening, I think his approval ratings will hover in the high 30s, low 40s forever. I don't think there's going to be much movement because we're all living in our bubbles now. And he's inoculated himself from any media diseases because it's all fake news. And um, I wrote a, a, what I think is a really interesting column. It got a lot of play. In fact, it was on the, the top hit on Google News for a while yesterday about his war on the mu- news media for media, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which I hope you will check out. Now, I also hope you'll check out hour number two and hour number three of the podcast. Again, we're doing three hours, well, not full hours, but almost three full hours, three segments, if you will, on this week's uh, podcast. In hour number two, we're going to be joined by Larry Wilmore, the comedian who told Milo Ionopoulos to go fuck himself on real time on Friday night. That'll be interesting. Literally looking forward to that. In hour number three, we're going to be joined by the sister of Matt Sandusky, the most famous accuser of Jerry Sandusky, who has some Fascinating things to say, assuming that she doesn't uh, get concerned and uh, decide not to do the interview, which has happened to me many times in this entire saga of the so-called Penn State scandal. But that's hour number three on this, the February 19th podcast of The World According to Zig. I, as always, ask only two things of you. If you like this podcast, share it with others, tell people on social media, tag me, and I'll retweet or share your post on it. That's all. That's the, really the main thing I ask. And the second thing is actually for you. Because if you're one of those people who sleeps and you use sheets, do yourself a favor and listen to this important message. Hour number two coming up next. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. 
ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.